On our time then tonight, let us return to Numbers chapter 32. What then is the message of this chapter? What is the message that we can find in this chapter? Well, one or two have suggested that it is to promote loyalty and unity between the people. And this was something that was threatened by the behaviour of the tribe of Reuben and Gad and also latterly the half-tribe of Manasseh. And some would say then that this chapter is to promote unity amongst the, the brethren. And there is an element of that in this chapter. Some would say it's to make sure that we keep our vows, our vow or vows that we've made to the Lord. And we looked at that earlier on in Numbers. And yes, you will find that theme there. Verse 23, for instance, where Moses is telling the tribe or the leaders of the tribes of Reuben and Gad, if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Now that's very true. And some time we look at this text and we maybe use it evangelistically and we say that the Lord will find out your secret sins. Well, that is true, but that's not what the text is saying. Because this was not a, if they were, if they were not to keep their vow, it wasn't a secret sin at all. But the truth is that your sin will find you out. And that's a theme that we could draw from this chapter also. Some would say that it's to teach us that we are to be very sure and carefully consider the implications of the decisions you make. Here the children of Reuben and the children of God wanted to do something and they didn't really realize the full implications of what they wanted to undertake. And maybe they did not ponder deeply enough about the decision they wanted to do. Well, these themes are certainly found in this chapter. But I put it to you that really uh, the key verse, I would say, is our text. And it's verse 1 where we read, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jaser and the land of Gilead, that, behold, the place was a place for cattle. And I put it to you, the themes that we're going to draw from our text are really what this chapter is about and the title I'd like to give to the meditation this evening is Living by Faith. Living by Faith. And as we want to introduce this subject, we want to go to our text and we want to highlight one or two words. And it says there in the middle of the text, When they saw. When they saw. They looked upon their possessions. They looked upon the land that they were in. 
And they began to think to themselves as they surveyed what they had and what was before them with their eyes. They stopped living by faith. Instead they began, or they continued we might say, to live by sight. Now for anyone who's remotely um, acquainted with the Bible, this will ring an alarm bell. This will take us back to Genesis chapter 3. This sounds very, very familiar to us. Our first mother did exactly the same. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and I don't need to elaborate and to tell you what happened, it was an absolute disaster for humanity. And we are living out that disaster even today. And we bless God that he has sent his son to be a saviour. But in the meantime, we are living through what she did. She saw it was beautiful, it was delightful, it was pleasant. She disobeyed God and the consequences are with us today. We could also highlight another incident. It's like what Lot did. The decision Reuben and Gad made later to be joined by the half-tribe of Manasseh. In verse 33, they are introduced into the, uh, into the narrative. They want to join with Gad and Reuben. But it all smacks of the decision made by Lot in Genesis chapter 13. And what we maybe don't realize, that the land that Lot looked upon and desired when it came about that the land could not support Abraham and Lot's livestock. And, Lot, and Abraham gave Lot the opportunity to, to decide where he would go, where they would separate. And Lot chose the very same piece of land that we have here before us that the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of God also chose. It's telling us that these individuals were just like Lot. They were living their lives by sight and not by faith. And what it reveals unto us, friends, or what it revealed unto us about Lot, it revealed his spiritual state and his temperature, where he was in his walk with God. He was walking by sight. We have another incident where someone who saw something and delighted in it and sinned as a result of it. Achan, when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and other things, he set his eyes upon it. And it's exactly what we find here. And when they saw the land, and when they saw their possessions, they put the two together. And this was what motivated them to go forward with the request before Moses and Eliezer and the princes of the congregation. Well, I want to highlight one or two things from uh, this incident that we have here. First of all, their possessions 
determined their outlook. Their possessions, what they had in this world, determined their outlook. It wasn't the Word of God. It wasn't their theology. It was what they could see and what they could taste and what they could handle. What they had in this world. Now, there is no suggestion whatsoever that they amassed this great amount of cattle by unlawful means. It's more than likely they were diligent farmers. And no doubt over the time that they were in the wilderness, they were able to increase their amount of cattle by lawful and legitimate means. And remember, did we not look at the last chapter or maybe the chapter before when they went to war and when they gathered a great amount of spoil? Well, these tribes would have got their share of that spoil. And therefore, we are to realize and understand that they got all of these things lawfully and legitimately. And they were not sinful things. They were not sinful things. But they, these things were determining their outlook. They would rather pander to their possessions than obey the voice of the living God that told them that in line with all the people of Israel, they were to go into the promised land. Not to be outsided, not to be on the edge of it, but to go in to the promised land. And notice also, friends, secondly, notice also that providence seemed to be on their side. What do we find? In verse 4, this is what they say to uh, Moses. Even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle. And thy servants have cattle. Here they are making a spiritual application. Here the Lord has delivered this country into us. We have lots and lots of cattle. What are we going to do with them? We're in an ideal place where we can look after our cattle. Surely this is the hand of God. Surely this is what it is for us. Providence is shining upon us. And therefore, surely this is what we should do. Providence is not something that we are to live our lives by. Yes, by all means, we are to look at providence and we are to study providence. But we have the Word of God. And it's the Word of God that's to lead us and to guide us. And as someone has said, we have to read providence like a book backwards. Thirdly, notice... Their possessions, and maybe we can enlarge the application somewhat, not just their possessions, but their circumstances, their possessions and their circumstances, revealed their sin. Verse 14, when Moses heard their request... Many people would say that Moses was very harsh and rash. But Moses was the leader of the people. 
And Moses had responsibilities. And Moses knew that ultimately God wanted to bring all the people of God into the promised land. And here was a, a breach in that. And Moses wanted to deal with it. And Moses, being a spiritual individual, was able to discern what really was behind the request. And what does he say in verse 14? And behold, ye are risen up in your father's stead an increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. You're nothing but a group of sinful men. You're a brood of sinful men. That's what it literally means. Because he was able to discern what was ultimately behind this. And the word of God reveals them to us. What was it? What were the sins then? Well, the first sin that we notice, Moses highlights in verse 6. And Moses said unto the children of Gad, unto the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? What's he talking about here? What's, what's he highlighting here? He's highlighting the sin of comfort. They're in their comfort zone. The people were going to go to war. And there's no indication when they first made their request that they would do what they later said they would do. The idea was initially that they were going to stay in the land and the people of God were going to, going to go in and fight for the promised land while they would remain there in their land, secure with their animals, with their livestock, with everything, with their people safe and secure. And Moses highlights the sin of being in their comfort zone. We're not going out to fight. Let our brethren do it, but not us. Another sin, a distrust in the promises of God. God had promised the promised land to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob. That's why Moses mentions them there in his reply to them. Don't you know? Don't you realize? Don't you remember? That God has given the promised land to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to those that would follow. He hasn't given this land that you want. Even although we do possess it, that's not the promised land. And when they said they didn't want to go into the promised land, they were, they were displaying a distrust in the promises of God. It was nothing other than rank unbelief. And Moses was going to highlight that. It was also going to discourage their brethren. Verse 7, And whatever and wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them. Here he is right. Two and a half tribes were going to remain outside the promised land. The others were going out to fight for their possession that God had given to them. 
Would this be an encouragement to them to realize that two and a half of the tribes were back there drinking their wine, attending to their animals, while the others were out fighting for their possession that God had given to them? They were going to discourage their brethren. And another sin. They were going to divide Israel, the people of Israel. The others were going to go into the promised land. Some of Israel would be there, and some of Israel would be over in another place altogether. There would be a geographical division amongst the people of God. To them, well, it really didn't matter. These tribes would be separated from the rest of the nation by the river Jordan. But they saw this as a minor concern, a little matter, nothing to worry about. Another sin that he highlights, or a, or, or a consequence of their sin, it was to encourage the Lord to visit them in judgment. Moses was so concerned because he could remember what happened when the first generation were at the, the border of the promised land. And he sent the spies into the promised land. And they came back and brought, and brought the, the bad report. And the ten spies, what happened? They discouraged the people so that they did not go in and fight as they should have done. And what happened? God said that they wouldn't go in, and that generation would fall. They would die in the wilderness, and so they did. For 38 years they wandered in the wilderness because the ten spies had discouraged the first generation. And Moses was fearful that the same thing would happen again. Here they were, the people of God being preserved through the wilderness, and now being brought to the very brink of the promised land again. And here, by their actions, they would likely discourage the people of God. And as a result, it may well be that the Lord would come down and judge his people like he did before so that they would not go in to the promised land. That generation. And they'll have to wait for another generation. Therefore, their desire for comfort, their desire to follow providence, their desire to put their possessions first, really, as far as Moses was concerned, was a terrible, terrible sin. Well, we wonder, friends, has this got any application to ourselves? Well, of course, we're inclined to think it has, because it is the Word of God. And as the Word of God, it does have application to us. Some people are like the older generation. We're like that older generation who fell in the wilderness. They are wandering and they never entered into the land. They never entered into the possession that 
God had for them because of their unbelief. Is that any of us here this evening? Are we like that older generation who have never really grasped the promises of God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ? And wandering aimlessly in this world? And we haven't entered into the promised land. We have not embraced Christ as he has freely offered to us in the gospel. Instead we are wandering aimlessly without purpose in this world as far as our faith is concerned. Other people, friends, what are they like? They are like the ten spies who visited the land and saw its wealth but failed to enter in also. We know the gospel. We know what Jesus Christ has achieved. But have we made him our Lord and Savior? Have we called upon him? The Transjordian tribes entered the land, but did not stay there. The tribe of Reuben, and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they eventually did go into the land. They went and fought as they said they would. But when the fighting was all over, and when the people settled, these persons returned to where their cattle was, and to where their possessions was, and to where their young ones and their wives were. They were in the promised land, but then they came out. They preferred to live on the border. And instead of enjoying what God had provided for them in the promised land, they would rather be with their possessions, rather be with their cattle. They would rather have their comforts. They wanted an easy time. Not for them to be with the people of God in the promised land. Oh, they wanted some kind of association. But they didn't want to be in the promised land. They didn't want to be fully part of being with the people of God. It was enough for them to have an association by name and to have some connection with those in the promised land, but not actually to be in the promised land themselves. Their possessions, their cattle, their comfort was more important to them than anything. Can we get a an illustration of this that might help us to understand something about what we're talking about here. Cast your mind back about three years ago. About three years ago, before the COVID pandemic came upon us. What were we doing? We were having our services as normal. We would record the services. They would be recorded on a voice recorder. Then afterwards they would be posted up on sermon audio. So that individuals who 
couldn't be at the prayer meeting or they couldn't be at the Sabbath services for any particular occasion, they were able then to listen to the sermon online. But when COVID came, well, we had to change things. We had to move very, very quickly. We had to get into areas that really we didn't know much about. But by the grace of God, and it is a wonder that we're able to live stream. It's quite remarkable that here in the west end of Glasgow, we're able to broadcast live our services. And uh, we're going to continue to do that because we recognize there are people who are housebound and they cannot come to the means of grace. It's not a matter of comfort for them. It's a matter of necessity. They cannot come. It's impossible for them. They're not fit. They're too old. They're too frail. They're too elderly. They have difficulties and problems and they they cannot find their way to make themselves to the house of God. And this is primarily why we have it. And we're going to continue to have it. It's in order that we might service the elderly members of the congregation who, if they could, they would be here and would rejoice to be here. But because of infirmity, because of this, their time of life, it's just not possible. And I know that uh, what I say here, they will be nodding in approval. And they would roundly agree that if they could be here, they would be here. But in common with all churches... There have been people, or there may have been people, that no longer come to the house of God. And instead, because of comfort, they will find themselves following us online. We know it's a great problem with many churches. You ask, any minister, doesn't matter what denomination we're, we're talking about, you'll find that many, many congregations have lost individuals because they continue to watch or listen online rather than come to the house of God. Now, there may well be persons known to ourselves who are not here, but who could be here. Why is that? Could, could it be it's just because it's much more convenient, it's much easier on the flesh, it's easy to switch on, it's easy to listen, in the warmth and the comfort of your home. But as it was in this incident that we're looking at here, it's not what God would have us to do. God is quite clear. We are to continue to meet and we are to make sure that we gather 
in the house of God. And it's only when we're unable to do because of ill health or other circumstances that we should make use of the other means that we have instituted. We find here that Moses would charge these people with their actions of discouraging the people. It's not very encouraging for the people of God to come out and to be in the house of God and to be under the means of grace and have fellowship one with another when some of our members or number are missing. It's not an encouragement. And therefore, this is something we need to bear in mind. And we must examine ourselves. And of course the Lord is the one who can reveal this matter unto us. We all know our particular circumstances and situations. The minister does not. What I'm saying here may mean nothing to some. But the Lord is able to speak. And the Lord is able to prick the conscience. And the Lord is able to do wonderful things. But we look further than our own situation. Because of the fact that we live stream, we don't know who will actually be watching or listening. We don't know. And we would appeal to those persons whom we don't know and we're never likely to know and never meet. We would appeal to them. We love to see you or to hear that you, you're watching or listening. But we would ask this question of you. Are you substituting your own congregation for us, or vice versa. In other words, are you abandoning your own local congregation in favor of listening to a congregation that you'll never really be part of? The lesson is clear, I do believe, that we are not to consider our comfort in these matters, our convenience. We are instead to consider what God says. And we should gather together locally in our local congregation. We assume, obviously, the congregation is a gospel congregation, and we assume that the Word of God has been proclaimed. And if that be the case, that is where you should be supporting. We must not put our comfort and our possessions before everything. We are to put the Lord and His Word and His promises that is what is to lead us and to guide us. And of course, friends, we have the ultimate example. 
we have the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one, the King of glory, King of kings and Lord of lords. Is he not the one who has everything or had everything in heaven? He had everything. He came to this world. Is he not the one who possesses all things, the creator of all things? If anyone had possessions, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet he gave all of that up in order that he might come and undertake a work, the work of God. He put the will of God before everything. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He didn't care about his possessions. He came to save his people. He undertook everything that was required in order to save his people. What does the Bible tell us about the Lord Jesus and his living among us? The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man had not where to lay his head. All he had was the clothes he stood in. He didn't have any possessions. He didn't have a home. He didn't have money. He didn't leave anything behind as far as possessions were concerned. He was a man who was taken up entirely with the will of God and undertaking all that was required in order to save his people. Is that not the ultimate example that's set before us? Oh, that we might put our possessions in the light of these things. Very often our possessions can load us down. They can direct us. We have to look after our possessions. We have to consider them. This is what they did. All this cattle, all been achieved by lawful means. Yet, by looking after their cattle and seeing this pleasant land that was good to look after their cattle, they would rather be there than go into the promised land. We're not going to look at it at the moment, but it does seem that the decision they made was not ultimately a wise decision. They went in, they didn't go into the promised land, they stayed there. And in 2 Kings, this is talking about hundreds of years later, in 2 Kings it tells us that when Israel began to disintegrate and when it began to fall apart because of idolatry, it says in 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 29, In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, came Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and took Ijon, and Abel Beth Meachah, and Janoah, and Kadesh, and Hazor, and Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Natali, and carried them away captive to Assyria. That features the land 
that they went and lived in. They were the first to go into captivity. The decisions we make not only influence ourselves, but others. And what might seem prudent at the time when we consider our comforts and when we take a pragmatic approach to things doesn't necessarily always result in long-term blessings. The only way to be blessed, friends, is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in his word, to be faithful to him, and not to walk by sight, but walk by faith and by the promises of the living God. Living by faith. 